Welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with strength and power coach at Wasps Rugby Union Football Club, Tom McLaughlin. Hi guys, thanks for tuning into the Pace Performance Podcast. Uh, got another great guest coming up to you today in Tom McLaughlin. Tom is the strength and power coach at Wasps. Uh, we discuss his background, uh, how he's got to where he is, uh, and what exactly a strength and power coach is. It becomes really difficult to actually condense what I want to ask these guys who come up on the podcast uh, into a half an hour segment. But today I discuss uh, conditioning rugby with Tom. We discuss integrating academy players uh, through the process and into the first team. We also finish off with a discussion about Mark Ripito and his recent article in T Nation, which has caused a lot of controversy on uh, on social media. And towards the end of the chat, Tom also gives me his top five go-to guys in the industry uh, and what the, these guys have contributed to his development. But before we get on to, on to the interview with Tom, I'd just like to remind everyone to give me a follow on Twitter at PaceyPerform, and from there you can keep up to date with everything that's going on on the podcast. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and it goes straight into your onto your phone or your tablet or your laptop. Um, you can also give us a rating and a review on there, which would be greatly appreciated. Obviously, the more we get, the easier it is to uh, to circulate the name of the podcast and get the information out there. And if anyone does have any feedback on the podcast, good, bad or indifferent, I'd like to hear it. So drop us a message on Twitter or drop us an email. Uh, before I go on anymore, here is the interview with Tom McLaughlin. Okay, hi guys. Welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today I have Tom McLaughlin on the line. So just before I introduce Tom, I'd just like to say a massive thanks to him for uh, giving his time on his day off. So, Tom, do you want to give us a little bit um, of information on your background, your kind of education, your career and what you're doing now? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I started getting into strength and conditioning probably in uh, 03, 04, somewhere around that time. And I was at university studying and began helping out with a few amateur rugby clubs, um, a few sort of recreational athletes, runners and the like. And sort of looked around around to see how I could uh, sort of turn that into a career. Um, and strength and conditioning within within rugby specifically at that time was sort of entering a boom. It was kind of the in thing. There were quite a lot of opportunities out there in terms of internships. And so I, had to, I applied for quite a few um, as things go. Uh, some get back to you, some don't. Um, some offer you opportunities, some don't. You've just got to take the rough with the smooth. Uh, I was lucky enough to get an opportunity at Bristol Rugby, and it was turned out quite well because I was studying at UIC at the time, which is now Cardiff Met. And so I started that internship in May 2005, and it was as the club was moving from the old National One back into the Premiership. Um, and the head S&C guy there, Dave Rowland, gave me that opportunity. And it was just the two of us in that department. So first year back in the premiership, it was a fantastic experience. It was a lot of work, um, but I learned uh, an awful lot there. And really after sort of a combination of being in the right place at the right time and making the most of that opportunity, was lucky enough to get a contract as the academy strength and conditioning coach there at Bristol. Uh, and stayed there for uh, just over six years, so until May 2011. 
um, and during that time was academy conditioner, assistant conditioner, and then ran a department from 2008 till 2011. And uh, it was an incredible time for the club, lots of highs, um, a few lows as well, which I think is what you get in professional sport unless you're one of the very fortunate ones and don't have any lows. Um, and then in sort of 2011, I became a little bit uh, disillusioned with the way that the direction that the club was heading in, in terms of what were their, their long-term objectives. And at that time, an opportunity arose in Ireland, uh, specifically with Connacht Rugby, to head the department up there. And that was an exciting time for the province. They were entering the Heineken Cup for the first time, albeit on the back of Leinster's success. But uh, you've got to take that luck when it comes your way. Um and during that time, you know, we enjoyed some good success with the with the province. They got their best ever finishes in the Celtic League, um, three seasons in the Heineken, including some memorable wins. Toulouse away last year, which is which is probably fair to say the equivalent of uh, of David fighting Goliath, um, but uh, we we managed to come out on top. And then really, at sort of towards the end of last season, I was looking to move back to the UK to be closer to family and. Um, and seeing what options were around and whether I need to take some time away from the game or do some some extra study. But uh, an opportunity came up with with Wasps in London. Uh, Dan Barr, the head uh, S&C, uh, rang me up and was looking for someone to take over the strength and power programme. And uh, I felt with the way that the club was moving, the players that they'd signed, uh, it was too good an opportunity to turn down, really. So that's probably the... Uh, uh, the long version of where I started, where I've been and, and, and where I am at the moment. So obviously your role at Wasps at the minute, strength and power coach, does that, you know, is that what it says in the tin? Um, yeah, pretty much. Uh, like I run what goes on in the gym, obviously with uh, uh, Dan will just oversee and, and make sure everything's in, in line with how he wants the overall program to be run. But in terms of what goes on in the gym, our, our plan um, and, and deliver the sessions to all of the, the senior players, so around 45 players within that squad. Uh, obviously, in addition to that, I'll assist in other areas that, that I may be required to help in, so whether that's warming the players up for um, the main rugby sessions, uh, helping out with any of the conditioning for injured players, um, any of the monitoring that we do. Um, you know, just it's a generous, a strength and conditioning role with an emphasis on what goes on uh, within the gym environment, really. Mm. I mean, you mentioned uh, a little bit there about monitoring. I watched, uh, well, listened to a webinar this morning with Jason Weber and uh, Darren Burgess, and they, they put the questions out uh, to the people that were listening, and a lot of monitoring-type questions keep coming back. Um, but what, what are the methods that, from your experience, that have, uh, that have kind of uh, given you the most useful information? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I listen, listen to the webinar as well. It was very good. They're obviously two um, very good practitioners in their in their field. Uh, but yeah, in terms of monitoring, really, I think it's only as good as what you do with the information. So I've seen systems or heard of systems in organisations where they collect everything, you know, blood, urine, the works, but. What they're collecting, are they able to make uh, an intervention in the training process with the information they're collecting? Uh, so for me, that's key. Uh, the kind of tests and the monitoring devices uh, or systems that I've used have been try and keep them pretty simple and straightforward. So uh, what we do at Wasps is quite similar to what I did at, at Connacht as well. So I, I don't mind sharing that. Players will come in. Uh, they'll weigh, weigh themselves in, so body weight. 
um, they'll score their um, their sleep, how well they sleep, and how well they think they've recovered from the previous day's training. That's just out our scale of uh, zero to ten. And then they'll do a couple of exercises, so a sit and reach to assess their hamstring, lower back, uh, lower back flexibility, a knee to wall uh, for their ankle mobility. Um, some guys do some shoulder range tests, some hip range tests, uh, and we, we look at that data and we see we build up a profile of that player, and then we see whether they're above or below that line. So, for example, if they are down in a certain area, for example, sit and reach, then they have a protocol to follow uh, they retest and if it's still down then we're, we're going to advise them to see the medical department and have that issue looked at further in addition to that i think it's fair to say that most people working in in professional sport will, will collect rpes uh, i think they're uh, an invaluable tool they are subjective but again it just gives you another little uh, you know as to, to steal jason weber's phrase you know in terms of building a case not i think you can't explain it any better than that really you're looking to build a case whether it's for an individual player or, or for the squad as a whole so you can go into the coach and say oh the squad's tired today they haven't recovered well automatically the first thing they're going to do is say well why show me how, how have you formed that opinion um and so there's some of the subjective and objective measures that I would believe in. I think GPS as well is extremely important, um, but all, but probably from the terms of optimising training. Uh, and I'm not afraid to say, I think when it first came out, probably I was one of co a few coaches who made a, a few mistakes. You know, you try and tell coaches to do less, do less all the time. But I think as time goes on and you see what it can collect and how it can inform your training, it's about optimising it, not restricting the coaches. I think that's a very important point for anyone that's working within team sports where they have to liaise with the head coach or, or any of the assistant coaches. So to summarise, I think you've got your wellness um some of your sort of mobility measurements, your GPS, um, but also as as a, another famous SNC coach, Buddy Morris says, you know, you can't underestimate talking to your players at the end of the day. You've got to be able to communicate with them. You've got to be able to have a feel for where they're at, see how they walk and when they move, when they come into the club, you can tell a lot from that. You know, are they tired? Have they recovered? Uh, so really for me, it's a combination of all those factors help to build up a profile uh, of each athlete that you work with. So obviously the last thing you mentioned was build, the building up of the profile. How long would you say it kind of takes before you get some meaningful data with that with that profile? I think in an ideal world, you probably say you start your interventions and your or your, your data collection at the start of pre-season. I'd like to think you'd have a... Uh, you know, a good profile of that player by the end of pre-season. So you're probably looking at eight to 12 weeks in reality. Um, but that might be longer depending on the, the type of player and the amount of contact time that you have with that player. If they come new to the club after an international period, um, say in the summer, they only come in in July or August, then obviously it's going to take longer. Uh, they're going to go right into the season before you get a handle of where they're at. Um, also, the industry... The strength and conditioning industry is quite small now. Um, everyone knows everyone. So if you do sign a player from another club, uh, I think more often than not, you can usually get some information on that player. Uh, most most clubs are pretty forthcoming as long as the information's nothing that's going to give the other person a competitive advantage. Mm. I, mean, I mean, you mentioned so many different ways to collect the data. How do you kind of cherry pick the the right information to relay onto the coach 
Because obviously uh, you're not going to present everything in a, uh, in a big, sure. long, big, long, you know, A3 yeah. page. No, it's about trying to um, present it probably in a way that they can understand. So and I, can, I can only speak from experiences and some of the head coaches that I've worked for like something visual. So they might like, um, you know, for example, if I'm presenting GPS scores from the weekend in comparison to previous games to show that the players worked a lot harder. Some One coach liked that. Um, other coaches I've worked with just prefer an informal chat so I might say to them player X um, can they um, restrict their, their high speed can we look at their restricting their high speed running to, in today's session um, I'll say it's because of X, Y and Z so that just an informal discussion rather than an actual uh, graph or report so I think from that perspective it, it's, it's vital that you know um how your head coach or how your assistant coach or sport coach, whatever it may be, how they like to communicate um, and how to persuade them and influence them to um, to sort of come to the same conclusion as you. Mm. Yeah, that's great stuff. I mean, I just wanted to move on a little bit, um, talking about conditioning in rugby. Uh, I posted a couple of um, questions over to you about aerobic versus anaerobic sessions. I mean, Kia went and flat, one of the, the guys who uh, previously on the podcast, and anyone who hasn't checked his stuff out, uh, I definitely recommend it. But he uh, he talks a lot about obviously not neglecting the aerobic side of it. Uh, what are your, I'm sure you've read this kind of stuff. Uh, what are your views on this rugby? Uh, yeah, uh, not to want to sit on the fence, but to cut a long story short, I think you need to be aerobically developed and anaerobically developed. Uh, that being said, I think that you can overdo the aerobic uh, conditioning. Uh, I think e each player needs a base level of fitness. How you achieve that is probably up to you. There are many different ways to skin a cat. Uh, but looking from the experience I've had, usually it takes guys sort of between three to five weeks to get aerobically fit, uh, maybe slightly less for some, slightly more for others, depending on what state they return to training. Something that I... I did with a relative degree of success at Connacht is during the off season, they were set aerobic targets. Um, so we, we used the yeah, yo-yo uh, intermittent recovery test level one. And then when they returned to train, if they met their target, they got some more time off. If they didn't, they were in. So it was just a way of trying to ensure that when we did start pre-season, we could move into more specific forms of conditioning, uh, whether that's anaerobic work, um, uh, whether it's small-sided games. You know, So really, we tried to make sure that the aerobic conditioning was taken care of in the off-season. Uh, I think when you look at the competition you're working in as well, there has to be a, a slight shift in focus. I think if you're a strength and conditioning coach working in super rugby, the games, it's a shorter season. The games are played on better surfaces. Uh, it's a faster game, so there's probably uh, more emphasis on having a good aerobic base. Whereas in the Premiership um, in England, you, it's a long season. You know, It's a marathon, not a sprint. You probably get good weather at the start and at the end, but in the middle you get the winter, which is horrific. So there are a lot more uh, collisions. It's probably more of an anaerobic game, stop, start. Um, I think I was discussing the other day with Dan Barr at Wasps, and I think he was saying that recently uh, some statistical sort of analysis of international rugby results in the, on average in each international rugby game is eight minutes nearly goes to the TMO so you've got to look at things like that TMO is just the uh, for people that don't know is the uh, the video ref for want of a better expression so when you look at that yeah players have got to be aerobically fit but 
probably only to a certain extent. You know, you're not training them to run um, a sub five minute mile. Uh, you're training them to be able to last 80 plus minutes. Yeah, there are going to be periods of very uh, continuous high intensity play. But at the end of the day, the game of rugby is a series of high intensity collisions. Um, and, and you can only you can watch any of the games. You'll see teams that don't win collisions don't win the game. Um, simple as that. I mean, my belief is that when you get to international rugby, at least, and probably even in the even Premiership and Celtic League, I'd say if you tested all the teams on the yo-yo, there'd be very little to choose between any of them. Um, you know, it's about their ability to win collisions and their ability to you know to play the game, to execute skill under fatigue. Uh, so that really would be you know, my opinion on aerobic versus anaerobic, you need both of them and it depends on the competition um, and also importantly, the style of play that the coach is looking to to implement. Mm. I mean, you mentioned obviously the amount of collisions that go on, obviously it's so many niggles and, um, you know, guys being uh, strapped up and, you know, just got out to get out to the game. Do you use uh, like cross-training techniques to kind of maintain the fitness with little niggles that are happening here and there? Yeah, yeah, we we would do. Um, I think at the end at the end of the day, if a player is playing regularly each week, then their match fitness is going to be of a of a good level. And if your training is intense uh, or intense when it needs to be, then sort of your your conditioning should be taken care of. Um, but but if during pre season, the last sort of three years at Connacht, we did have a couple of players who would be uh, have quite a number of miles on the clock. And yeah, I would be a fan of using off-feet methods, but where possible, I'd like them to be on the field um, training. But if I was going to use off-feet methods, uh, I'd be probably, uh, anyone listening to this who knows me will probably laugh now, I'd be a big fan of uh, rowing um, and the watt bike. I just think they're two very, very efficient methods to uh, improve someone's conditioning. It's measurable, so you can set targets. Um, and you can try and closely relate it to the running work. So, for example, if you were doing some maximal um, aerobic speed work on the field in terms of running, you can also do exactly the same thing on the row. You know, you give them a 2,000-metre time trial, you, you get the same kind of uh, data for, as if they were doing a running test and then using that to plan their training accordingly. Um, but I think where often or not you need the players on the pitch, but... Um, if they can't do that for whatever reason, then those two modalities probably would be my uh, be my go-to ones. Mm. No, I thought you might. I thought you might say that from a few of the bits that you've put on about the rower. <laughs> I'm sure the lads love you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just moving on a little bit, how do you guys at Wasps uh, integrate the academy players? Uh, when, when obviously when they're coming through the system. Yeah. So uh, at the moment, our uh, the, the setup at Wasps is we have. Um, four strength and conditioning coaches, um, of which I'm one of with the first team, and then there are three strength and conditioning coaches with the academy setup. Now, obviously, the 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 philosophy, if you like, for the strength and conditioning department is is set uh, by the head SNC Dan Barr, and you know it's also based upon the league we play in and the, the type of game the coach wants to play. But effectively. You know, we're probably no different than any other Premiership team. We're looking for our players to be uh, powerful, strong, um, and have a good level of conditioning. So that gets set at the senior level, and then that message uh, gets you know delivered down to the academy setup. That being said, it's important to understand that the academy players are at different ages, different levels of maturation and development to the senior players. Um, so you know the academy age players, you're probably looking at 
uh, guys who are maybe from 13 all the way up to 21. So there are lots of differences. How would you treat a player who's 13 to how would you treat a player that's 21? But I think the, the key message is that they don't have the miles on the clock that a lot of senior players do. So if you've got a guy moving from the academy system at, say, 19, really you should expect them to be a standout performer within um, strength and conditioning in terms of their, their strength and power tests, their conditioning tests, their speed tests as well. Um, so in the past, I've been a, when I was working in academy setup in Bristol at the time, the RFU had a, a system, a double periodization system whereby uh, players were taken out of games at Christmas time and went on a sort of a mini pre-season, which worked well. Uh, but I also think it's important that you treat those players in that instance individually. Some guys probably do need to carry on playing because their rugby skill is a limiting factor. But for sure, guys whose physical development is a limiting factor, then I think it's it's something that can uh, produce some some very good gains. Um, but also I'd be a big believer, I think, uh, I don't mean to go off on a rant here, but I think that today's society as a whole tends to breed soft individuals. Um, you know, guys sit all day playing Xbox. The amount of physical education in schools is reduced. Um, pressure from parents now. Play, uh, athletes probably specialise at a younger age, which is not a good thing either. They think they're going to be a professional rugby player. You know, they're going to make it when they're 13, when they should be carrying on to play as many different types of sports as possible. So, again, I, I can only speak for myself here, and this is not a not a sort of a, a view of uh, of Wasps or any other rugby organisation. But I think if I was to be running an academy now. I would make sure that it was, you know, sort of discipline um, and and mental toughness and just understanding what it takes to be a professional athlete are, are really um, sort of core cornerstones of the program. And in addition to that, making sure that, that every player and I know at Connaught most of them did, but they have some in uh, some type of interest outside of rugby. So they either enrolled in f- higher education um, or they're enrolled in learning a trade. Um, I think if you have a player in an academy system who's not doing any of those things, uh, it's not a not a healthy uh, lifestyle for them. They need to have some distractions away from uh, the rugby environment as well. So, I think when you're dealing with academy players, you need to you need to look at it in terms of a holistic approach. Um, you know, then you're, you're trying to create better athletes for sure, but you're, you should also be trying to create better people um, and better people who can fit into society as well. Because some of them, or some of them, will make it as professional players, but quite a few of them won't. So they need to be equipped with the tools necessary to, you know, to move forward in their lives. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with the uh, the kind of creating a, a, a good person as well as a good athlete. Um, when you talk about early specialisation. Um, obviously, but you're taking guys in it and every other professional club is taking guys in at 13, you know, and football clubs is getting absolutely stupid with like six, seven year olds. As you know, from a WASP point of view, would you be encouraging these lads to be playing basketball, football, doing gymnastics, going swimming, or is it kind of, this is rugby, you're 13, let's go. Uh, Yeah, it depends on the age of the player, but I say if you're looking at a 13 year old, then, 
um, you know, definitely be encouraging them to, to keep up with their other sports that they play. Obviously, if you've got a guy who's, let's say, he's 19 years old, he's in the England 20 setup, he's probably going to get a professional contract with the Wasps if his development keeps going on. Then, obviously, in his case, he probably wants to be doing um, less things that are going to detract from his, you know, or make physical and time demands on his schedule in terms of if it's not rugby. But I'd say, yeah, definitely at the other end of the spectrum, swimming gymnastics you know as you said uh, basketball some other ball sports definitely encourage him to keep those types of activities up as long as is possible mm. yeah that's great i mean just coming on to a, a last little thing i wanted to discuss um recent article by matt ripito uh, that obviously everyone seems to be uh chipping in on I just wanted to get your. I wondered if you'd read it and if just wanted to get your thoughts on some of the issues that he'd uh, that he'd mentioned in the article. Yeah, no, I, I did read the article. Um, obviously, he's someone who's a good coach. Has a lot of good resources out there, um, and is someone who's good at what he does. Uh, for me to write an article about the state of S&C coaching, and I think it was within mainly the collegiate system in the US, correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe at the pro level a bit, without ever having worked in it, um, and I don't know, he may have people who he knows who are close acquaintances who do work in it, but for me that's almost like me writing an article about strength and conditioning within football. Uh, you know, I've never worked in football. I would know, apart from resources I've read and bits that you hear about I, I wouldn't be sort of 100% qualified to make those statements I mean he's obviously got opinions that he feels very strongly about um, and that's you know that's his that's his right to to put those down you know into words and to publish that article on T Nation um, yeah for sure you can see some clips on YouTube of you know some less than desirable techniques in the hand clean you know lots of people screaming in the collegiate system and you know it does i suppose to an extent it does seem a little bit like circus act some of those video clips and but again i think it's you know unless you've walked you know in those individual shoes it's very hard to judge what are the stresses in their profession what are some of the demands in their profession uh, what they're trying to achieve so for me, I, I thought it was a, a thought-provoking article, which is probably how he intended it to be, but I think it would have probably gone down better if it was written by someone who had experience of having worked in those environments. You know, I'd like to think if I was going to write an article on strength and conditioning in rugby, having worked in it for nearly 10 years, you know, I'd consider myself to know quite a bit about it. But if I'd never worked in it, I would hide, find it hard to write an article on it, if, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, but I think, yeah, when you when you sent the question across to me, there was something in there about, you might be getting onto it now, but to do with the, func the term functional exercises and some of the, the uses of speed ladders and gimmicks, if you like. I, I think for me, the word functional, you know, like, well, what, what does that mean? Does that mean... Yeah, the other things that you do aren't functional. Um, you know, like you only got to look back at people in ancient Greece and Rome were lifting weights above their head and, you know, whether it was rocks and things. So people are always going to be um, lifting a barbell to get stronger. You're always going to have to squat, um, press, pull, etc., cetera, uh, to make advances in strength training. You know, there's no sense in you look at people standing on a Swiss ball or doing lots of cable work. That's not going to get you strong. 
Um, you know, yeah, it might go down as a good party trick, but you know, it's not going to influence your performance, particularly in rugby, anyway. At least, I think with the, the whole speed ladders as well. The one thing about speed ladders for me is it teaches you to look down, which is a, you know, you get the old, oh, can you do the one foot in, one foot out? Well, the person straight away is looking down, which is a, a suboptimal um, body position to have when you're looking to accelerate or generate any type of speed and momentum. Um, so yeah, I'd be, I wouldn't be a, a big fan of, of either of those things. And you know, my philosophy would revolve around trying to keep things simple and effective and, and go with things which, you know, I know, uh, work and produce results. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned it a little bit and he kind of went into a lot of detail on people being, people being weak and obviously the barbell training is kind of the be all and end all. And then there was a picture of Will Fleming doing a, I don't know, something in a split stance. Yeah. Who was obviously incredibly strong. Um, yeah. But I think he had like 10 plates on either side, um, maybe for a you know, photo shoot yeah. or something. So that, that killed me a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've, we've been, obviously mentioned Matt Ripito, but who are your, your other go-to guys uh, that you kind of keep track on social media or blogs or whatever? Yeah, probably got probably five, maybe five main ones. So in terms of influences on strength and power uh, and general program management, I think most people would look no further than Dan Baker. And I've been a big fan of his research, especially as it's applied within a professional setting. So he would be one. Uh, Ashley Jones, who worked at the Crusaders, the All Blacks and the Wallabies, and I think now is working in Japan. Um, helped me a lot when I first moved into a head role and um, I'd recommend anyone to check out any of his work and I think he's a fantastic practitioner you know you don't hold those positions in world rugby unless you're doing something good uh, then also Joe Ken again I'd recommend any up-and-coming coach I think it's the strength coaches playbook is his first book I definitely recommend them to buy that. I was lucky enough to hear him speak at the UK SCA this year. Again, you know, he has a very good system. It's, you know, it's relatively straightforward and simple and it gets results. So those three from a, a strength perspective. And then I'd probably say in terms of speed and putting a whole uh, program together, uh, Dean Benton, who more recently was working over at the Brumbies, again, is someone who's helped me a lot and who I've sought his advice for. I was fortunate to to spend some time out there and look at the Brumbies in 2012. Uh, and then probably in addition to that, reading Charlie Francis's work as well um, and some of the guys who post on Elite FTS as well. But they, they'd probably be the, uh, be the main ones. And I think if you're into strength and conditioning, whether it's rugby or not, I think the, the guys that I've listed there would be fantastic uh, resources to look up some of their works a lot of their works on the web uh, some of it you might have to uh, dig a bit uh, a bit harder but they're, they're all they're all well-respected practitioners and have a a lot more experience uh, and a lot more skills than i do don't do yourself down mate <laughs> <laughs> um so where can people keep up to date what you what you've got going on and social media and that type of thing yeah probably the easiest one is is twitter so uh, my Twitter name's Tom McLaughlin eighty three, um, so I I tend to follow and retweet quite a lot of the uh, the more clever people on the internet. I occasionally offer an insight into whether it's anything to do with my training in terms of uh, trying to get better at rowing, which is at the moment seems like a, an eternal quest, um, or, or anything else that I would retweet or offer offer opinions on. Really. So, what's the goal in the rowing? 
the goal at the moment is to try and uh, break my my two thousand meter record. So at the moment it stands at six fifty six, but it's proving very difficult to get it below six fifty six at the moment. Uh, as Andy Churchill testified to when he when he saw me the other day in a world of pain uh, in the gym before training. So. No, well, uh, yeah, I mean, I've gone through all the things I wanted to ask you and it's come up to half an hour, so I don't want to keep you anymore. Um, but I just want to say thanks very much for giving your time and your day off. Uh, no, no problem. Uh, I'd probably just finish with saying that I think uh, anyone, you know, who wants to ask any questions, feel free to send me a message or a, a tweet on Twitter because I think anyone that's breaking into the field or in the field now and looking to sort of accelerate through the through the pathways if you like when I was in their same position people like as I've alluded to Ashley Jones and other coaches were kind enough to um, to point me in the right direction and offer advice and I think anyone who holds positions within strength and conditioning has a responsibility to you know to offer that advice and help other people uh, come through the profession you know it is a it is a tough profession there's there's a lot of uh, demand if you like from people to try and get into it um, but there's not that many jobs. So, you know, it really is about trying to set yourself apart and get as much experience as possible. So for, for people that aren't on Twitter, uh, have you got an email address? That people I have, yeah. Um, so uh, it's tom.mclaughlin at wasps.co.uk. Cool. And you're happy for people to drop you an email? Yeah, yeah more than happy. It's not a problem. Cool. We'll round up there. Uh, and again, thanks for your time. Um, and I will... Uh, I'll chat to you soon. No problem. Thanks. Take it easy. Thanks a lot, mate. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning to the Pace Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Tom. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give me a follow on Twitter at Pace Perform where you can keep in touch with everything that's going on the podcast. But until then, I will speak to you in the next episode.